Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. It's a well-known passage of scripture, a passage from God's word that many of us have heard or learned to be a comfort in difficult times or a guidance for uncertain times and Certainly in every circumstance of life, particularly in difficult circumstances in life, we want to know that there is someone we can lean on. There is someone we can count on. There is someone we can can go to. And according to the Word of God, according to the Bible, for people of faith, that is the Lord. God is our rock. He is our leader. For He is God. This is a truth that People of faith in God have been learning throughout the centuries, and thankfully we have some of their stories recorded in God's Word that we might learn from as well. And one such story we'll look at this morning from Genesis chapter 25. It's the story of Isaac and Rebekah. So let me encourage you to open up God's Word with me to the first book of the Bible, Genesis 25th chapter, as we look at God's Word together this morning, we have spent the last few months, the summer months really, uh, looking at instructions that were originally written to first century Christians living in the city of Colossae, but truths and instructions that are applicable to believers in every age. And today we return to the book of Genesis. We began walking through Genesis about a year ago and have taken a couple breaks since, and now we Return to Genesis, and we're in Genesis chapter 25 under a new message series titled Family Feud. So join me in Genesis chapter 25, beginning in verse 19. And as you come to that portion of God's Word, let me encourage you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Genesis chapter 25, beginning in verse 19, there God's Word reads this way, this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. And Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau, and after this his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Father, we invite you, we ask you to lead us now as we look at your word, speak to us, guide us, instruct us that we might be more faithful to you, and it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
a little phrase right there at the beginning of this passage in Genesis chapter 25, verse 19, that reads this way. This is the account of, is a common phrase throughout the book of Genesis. In fact, the book of Genesis is structured around that very phrase as it divides up different family accounts throughout the book, signaling that we are moving to a new chapter of this book, that we are no longer looking at the account of Abraham, We are now looking at the account of Isaac, Abraham's son, and his descendants. And remember that that Abraham had been the recipient of a great promise from God, that God had shown up to Abraham and called Abraham to, to trust him and to leave his homeland, to leave his familiar place, to pack up his family and to go to a place, an undisclosed place that God would show him, that God was going to multiply his descendants, that he was going to give him a new land, and then ultimately all nations of the earth would be blessed through him. And now Abraham's son Isaac finds himself in a situation very similar to the situation that Abraham and his wife Sarah had once found themselves in, childless. Remember that Abraham's great man of faith that God had called and set apart to be a recipient of His promise, one through whom God was going to use to impact the nations, impact the world. Ultimately, the one through whom He would bring the Messiah. This Abraham and his wife Sarah remained childless for some 25 years, waiting on God to deliver on His, his promises waiting till well beyond the normal childbearing age. God certainly desiring them to recognize that they were dependent on Him for provision of a child and wanted them to exercise faith in Him. And now we read right here in Genesis chapter 25 that Abraham's son Isaac finds himself in a a similar situation where Abraham, Abraham's son, excuse me, Isaac and his wife Rebecca waiting 20 years to conceive. First 20 years of their marriage and no child. We're told here in verse 20 that Isaac was 40 when they married. And at the end of this passage in verse 26, Isaac was 60 when these two twin sons were born. Once again, inviting the recipient of his promises, Isaac. To exercise trust in Him and in, in His plans. And God does have a plan. He has a plan for His people that unfolds throughout His dealings with His people. It unfolds the story of, of God dealing with His people. It unfolds throughout His Word. And, and we as His people who gathered together this morning, this August Sunday in 2015 in Birmingham, Alabama to worship Him are, are also the recipients of His promises. And, God's plan will come about. It has come about. It it came about with Abraham. It came about with Isaac. And it came about with their descendants, ultimately leading to the Messiah. And it, it is still coming about today. And this is because God sovereignly provides recipients of His promises. God is sovereign. He is king. He is in control. He is the eternal God. And, and He has a reputation, a history of providing recipients of His promises. And He is is still doing so today. He provided Isaac when 
looked like there was no Isaac. He provided these two sons, Jacob and Esau, when it looked as if Isaac and Rebekah would have no children. And he continues to provide recipients of his promises today, here and all over the world as descendants of Abraham, spiritual descendants of Abraham, come to to know Jesus and experience what it means to be children of of God. And Paul makes this clear, picking up on this story in Galatians chapter 3. So hear these words from Galatians chapter 3, beginning in in verse 6. We read, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham, many years before Galatians was written in the first century, believed God, believed the promises of God, exercised faith in God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have, who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So those of us who have repented of sin and trusted in Jesus Christ, the the Son of God for salvation, this descendant of Abraham through whom all nations of the earth will be blessed, those of us who have done that are the recipients of, of God's promises. God continues to provide by His Spirit People who are born again, born by His Spirit to live for Him and walk with Him and be reconciled to Him and be forgiven before Him. 20 years of waiting for a child. Many of us in our day, in our culture, a couple went a year or so without being able to conceive. Many would rush to seek professional help, outside help thinking that the problem somehow is, is with us. And here, Isaac goes to the Lord in prayer, acknowledging first and foremost that God is the one who is sovereign over life, who is the author of life. He bows in prayer before God. We read in verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. And we, don't, we don't have much more information than that. We don't know when Isaac prayed. We don't know if he'd been praying throughout these years of waiting. Or if all of a sudden, after years and years of waiting, he thought, you know, maybe, maybe I should take this matter to God in prayer. Sort of like what we often do, do we not? When things don't seem to go our way, and circumstances don't play out the way that we would desire or hope, and tendency for most of us is to naturally try to fix things ourselves, to take ownership, to steer this ship, to set things right. And then when we realize that we can't do that on our own, then often we lift our request to God. God sovereignly provides recipients of His promises. and He continues to do so and will continue to do so until His return. For the Bible says that The kingdom of God will be filled with a great multitude of people from every nation, tribe, people, and language who will forever praise the king. Saying salvation belongs to the lamb who who sits on the throne. And because God is a faithful God, 
We ought to trust God to provide the fulfillment of his promises. We, as people of faith, as recipients of God's promises, can trust God to deliver, to provide the fulfillment of of his promises. After all, this is what he did with the birth of Isaac. Causing Sarah to miraculously conceive Isaac. And this is certainly what he did here in Genesis chapter 25 with the birth of these twins. God's word is filled with promises that, that God has made to his people. And we could trace God's word and find promise after promise from God to his people. But just a couple that I want us to mention this morning. We think of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus coming and proclaiming to to the crowd saying, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. Do you have the joy of abundant life? Has your life gone from ordinary to extraordinary because you know the Lord and Savior? The eternal God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the one who gave his life as a ransom for for you and for me. Do you know Jesus Christ? God promises that his people will experience abundant life in him. We also know from scripture that God desires us to recognize our sin, our shortcomings, our Failure to live up to the standard of God and to confess our sin, to acknowledge our sin, to repent of our sin before Him. And the Bible promises us that when we do just that, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John chapter 1, verse 9. This too is a promise from God. We can trust God to provide the fulfillment of His promises and we ought to acknowledge His grace in creation. So think about God's provision, God's provision of life. It's people of faith in in God and the God of Scripture and the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the same God that we worship this morning, are called to acknowledge God's grace in creation for ultimately every creature has its origin in the Creator. Ultimately, all of us are dependent upon the author of of life, for He is sovereign over all life. And and no no life develops, no, no life is born outside of the sovereignty of God. Not everyone in this life experiences motherhood or or fatherhood. We know that to be true. And from a spiritual standpoint, we don't have the answers. We don't, we don't know why, but we do know that every child is a gift from God and He deserves our recognition and praise for every good and perfect gift that He gives. God sovereignly provides recipients of His promises. And we also learn here from Genesis chapter 25 in the context of God's Word that God sovereignly elects recipients of His promises. God sovereignly provides recipients of His promises through creation. And we see here that God sovereignly elects recipients of His promises. And we see this come about right here in verses 22 and and 23. So look back at Genesis 25 with me. So Isaac has prayed to God, asking for God to provide a child to his barren wife. She becomes pregnant. 
She experiences this discomfort. It says, verse 22, verse 22, the babies jostled each other within her. This is not a friendly little flutter or, or kick. This is discomfort so much so that Rebecca says, why is this happening to me? What is going on? She went to inquire of the Lord. In verse 23, the Lord said to her, the Lord said to Rebecca, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. And the older will serve the younger. So she goes and she inquires of the Lord. She prays to God, what's happening to me? And she gets this oracle from God. This declaration from God. And upon a casual reading of a passage like this, without regard to the rest of the context of God's word, we might simply infer that God is predicting what what he knew what happened, predicting that, that Jacob would, would receive the birthright and the blessing, as we'll learn as the story unfolds, and that he would experience a special blessing that Esau would not. And, and God's saying, this is, this is what's going to happen. And God is certainly saying that. He's saying something about Jacob and his descendants, the Israelites, and how they will experience a blessing that's greater and beyond Esau and his descendants, the Edomites. But this is more than just a prediction. This is a declaration from the Almighty God. This is election. God choosing to bestow His favor to a certain extent on Jacob beyond what He is going to on on Esau. This is not an easy theological idea or concept for any of us to understand how this fits into God's greater plan. But this this is a way, according to Scripture, that God has been operating in and does operate. And Paul picks up on this very idea, this very tension that is found here in an attempt to explain it in Romans chapter 9. So let me encourage you to, to hold your place in Genesis chapter 25 and turn far to the right to the book of Romans. Romans found in the New Testament. Romans chapter 9 is, is as Paul seeks to shed some light on, on this very issue. Romans chapter 9 beginning in, in verse 6. He, he writes these words. He says, it is not as though God's word had failed. He's talking about many of the Israelites not coming to faith in the Messiah. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. That doesn't make a lot of sense, but there's a distinction going on here between physical descendants and spiritual descendants. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, verse 10, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Verse 11, yet before the twins, Jacob and Esau were born where it done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Quotation right out of Genesis 25. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. A quotation out of Malachi. Important for us to understand here that the original language of the Old Testament being quoted here, loved, Hatred, not exactly as we understand them today. Love meaning more to choose. Hatred conveyed here more to to reject. This is 
This is difficult stuff. This is not light reading. What in the world is Scripture conveying here? What is this election stuff? And How does God's sovereignty and election fit in with our human free will and responsibility? And there are no shortcuts. There are no easy answers. This is a tension throughout God's Word and not something that we can easily understand or relate to, but nevertheless, we must do something with it. And Paul anticipates the discomfort that many of us feel as we read a passage like this. And he goes on in verse 14 of Romans chapter 9. He says, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? The emphatic response, not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. In other words, all of us, Scripture conveys clearly here throughout that all of us, all, all humankind, have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all failed God. We all stand condemned already on our own before God because of, because of our sin. And even so, God, God will save some and scripture is clear that God desires for all to come to know Him, all to be saved, to come to a knowledge of the truth. First Timothy chapter 2 makes that abundantly clear. But at the same time, in some form or fashion, some way or another, He guarantees that some will respond to His promises. He does so through election. God sovereignly elects recipients of His promises. And I know that's still not a very satisfactory answer. Still doesn't fit and a nice, neat bottle that we can take and, and spit out with others. And Paul knows this. And so he goes on to attempt to answer some of the objections that he knows he will hear in Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. He says, one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist His will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? In other words, his response is, I know this is a difficult subject. I know this doesn't make a lot of sense. The problem with the way God is operating, the way He is carrying out His program, don't take it up with me. Take it up with Him. Take it up with the Creator. This is essentially what we have right here in Genesis chapter 25, that before he was ever born, just as God chose Abraham to be the father of a great nation, chose Jacob to be the descendant through whom God would carry on his program in a way beyond that of of Esau. Okay, enough of Romans chapter 9. Back in Genesis Chapter 25, we see here that God sovereignly elects recipients of His promises. And notice, notice how Rebecca, Isaac's wife, responds when she experiences this tension, this discomfort. She prays to God. Two tensions that are clearly found in, in this passage of Scripture. The first tension is tension of childlessness. 
Many years of waiting on God to provide just as he had promised that he would, that this was part of his program, and no child comes. The tension that leads Isaac, and presumably Rebecca as well, to pray to God. and God answers that prayer, but he answers it in a way that leads to a greater tension. Another tension, the tension between these two unborn children that ultimately would develop into a tension that would carry on for the rest of their lives and even be evident in their descendants. And likewise, just as Isaac and Rebekah, when they face tension, they exercise their trust in God by going to God in prayer. When we face turmoil, we are to inquire of the Lord. When faced with turmoil, when faced with tension, when faced with uncertainty, when faced with things that we don't understand, we ought to, as people of faith, go to God, inquire of of the Lord. When we face hardship in life, when we face job loss, when we face bankruptcy, when we face illness, cancer, mental illness, the loss of a child, the loss of a spouse, the loss of a parent, poor health, heart attack, Surgery. When we face circumstances like these, family crises, we ought to inquire of the Lord. For our Lord is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in times of, of trouble. Psalm 46, verse 1. God sovereignly provides recipients of His promises, and He sovereignly elects recipients of His promises. And because His sovereignty is displayed through His creation and through our salvation. We ought to acknowledge not only God's grace in creation, but we ought to acknowledge God's grace in salvation. To acknowledge God's grace in salvation. We heard passages of Scripture read earlier this morning. It's by grace that that you have been saved. It's only by the grace of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God that any of us have have been saved and have experienced forgiveness before God, and reconciliation with God, and entered into an eternal relationship with Him. God desires a people who will be the recipients of His promises, a people that He will lead, a people that will follow Him, a people that will serve Him, a people that will enjoy Him forever. So let's acknowledge God's grace and, and salvation. God sovereignly provides recipients of His promises. God sovereignly elects recipients of His promises. And we also learn here, finally, in Genesis chapter 25, that God's people confess faith in His sovereign plan. God's people, people of faith, followers of Him, though we may not understand all of His plan and program, we confess faith in His sovereign plan as it is laid out in His Word. We learn this through the naming of of these two sons that Isaac and Rebekah did just that. Look back at Genesis chapter 25, picking up in verse 24. We read, When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. Prayed for a son and got two. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. We've talked before about how names, particularly as conveyed in 
the Bible often carried great significance. Names were approached perhaps in a, with greater significance than we often do today. And this is displayed right here in Genesis 25 in the naming of these two boys. So these two boys are born. Esau first is the firstborn. It's named based on his appearance. Comes out, he's a, he's a hairy baby. And so they name him Esau, which means hairy. And Jacob, the name Jacob has a reputation, developed a reputation for being uh, a name that meant deceiver. Or one who trips others up, one who defrauds. Certainly that was used against him. Esau later used it that way against Jacob to speak down to his brother. Negative way of his brother and the way that his brother was living. But most likely it did not have that negative connotation at the time of his naming. Otherwise, why in the world would his parents choose it? You know, we don't, just as Christians, you don't hear Christians very often choosing the name Judas or Lucifer. Well, Isaac and Rebecca would not have chosen a name that had such a negative connotation for, for their son. Rather, the name Jacob is similar to the word in the language of the Old Testament that meant heal. And so they were naming him in such a way that they were commemorating what took place at his birth. That he was grasping his, his brother's heel. And in addition to this, it probably meant something like, may God protect. May God protect. May God provide. So why is that significant? Well, in light of the oracle of God, God's saying that the older Esau will serve the younger, going against the natural order of society. In light of this special blessing that Jacob would experience and his descendants would experience, this was a way of commemorating God's program, of faith in his program by naming Jacob, may God protect you. And likewise, when, when we face moments and opportunities and circumstances of tension and discomfort and challenging. We too, like Isaac and Rebecca here, are called to walk by faith in God. As His people, we ought to walk by faith and walk by faith in any and every circumstance for He is a God who calls us to trust Him even when we don't understand why he's operating the way that he is, what he's up to, and why we're experiencing what we're experiencing. God is, is worthy of our faithfulness and our faith in him, for he is a faithful God. Church, God's people, those who know Christ, the church, God's people owe their existence and election to him providing grounds to trust Him during every circumstance of life. It's God's people. We owe our creation and our salvation to Him, which ought to lead us to trust Him with anything and everything that we might face. And may we be people who like Isaac and Rebekah here in this story in Genesis chapter 25, continually respond to tension with trust in the sovereign God for He is good and He is worthy, He is faithful, and He is deserving of our devotion. Father, we thank You for 
your love for us. We thank you for your your care for us. We thank you that you have created us. Lord, we thank you that you sustain us day after day, that you are the, the author of life and the giver of life, and not only physical life, Lord, but but you have given us spiritual life in and through Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ. Father, we thank you that you provide forgiveness of sins and reconciliation for, for whosoever will come. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, we thank you that we have called upon your name. And we thank you that in your good and sovereign plan and program, you have extended salvation to us. And Father, may we be good stewards of what it is that you have entrusted to us. May we be faithful in proclaiming this good news to all. To whoever hears everywhere so that we may be participants in your kingdom being filled with a great multitude from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, and from every language for your glory. Father, we trust in you. We believe in you. We pray that you would lead us now as we respond to your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.